I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And as ever, brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. If you're one of our patrons, of course, this is your extended cut of this week's show and if you're not would like to get our extended cut uh, my weekly columns uh, one of which we're going to talk about a little later uh, with zero commitment you know you can do it for a week if you want and just see if you like it uh, go to patreon.com slash uk tech and find out how you can support us there for as little as about one us dollar uh, a week and and just to uh, to get our longer extended shows so thank you to everybody um, now i wanted to start with uh, with thanking somebody that we previously called out on the show didn't we ian yes we did yes. um because a couple of months ago we were we were very upset about uh, some uh, review that we'd had on iTunes. Um, we don't get upset about um, you know bad reviews. Fortunately, we don't get many of them. But normally, they're you know they focus on something like you know they don't like us or they don't like the topics or there's some other ridiculous reason that they don't think we're wonderful. Uh, and that's fine. <laughs> we, we don't have a problem with people criticising. Um, we had a problem with this one particular review because it was written uh, with one star that said we um, you know you had to pay for the podcast now and it was all about the money, uh, which of course it wasn't it was just we started our patreon and offered a longer show to patrons but the existing same show to everyone on the free feed which we still do um and uh, we called this out because we we thought maybe other people feel this if they uh, if one person did and um and tried to explain the situation of how patreon works um and that person actually updated their review um a few weeks ago obviously they were still listening to the show um and hello to you and they updated it uh, to sort of apologize for overreacting and and uh, and sort of telling other readers of reviews uh, sort of uh, misleading information. So um, it was really, really nice uh, to sort of see that. And I think it's very good of somebody to come out and uh, and admit that they were wrong, essentially, um, and that it was it was really harming us. So um, really grateful um, to that user. You know who you are if you're listening. Um, and um, it means an awful lot. It means an awful lot to us. Just just even even without the one start being changed, uh, which, which was changed, just the wording was what we had the issue with yeah, because it was just it was it was difficult to, to get yeah. over that but uh, but we and, did like, you know, and we, thank we, you like you said we can take we can take feedback if if people have you know got concerns or whatever we'd love to hear about it um, absolutely but it's it's only just that we sort of felt that that wasn't quite what we were going after and and a lot of care had been put into trying to make it so that the free show remains every bit as good as the uh, patreon show but that you know we have to have a little bit of differentiation don't we so that there's yeah. something worth subscribing for Absolutely. And, and the bottom line is a lot of the reason that we did the extended version, you know, which has it has, uh, you know, there's some sections that are in there that are, that are longer because people in our big survey that we did last year told us one of the things they really, really like are a lot of nice tangents. Um, <laughs> they like some of the stories that are have a slightly more global focus as well. Um, and they just sort of like the back and forth between Ian and I. So that's the kind of stuff that we, you know, we record extra stuff and we leave in or we don't cut out for, for pacing and things um, for those people. So it sort of appeals to people who have been listening to the free show for a while and actually fancy upgrading it's actually not even something i'd advise people get if they're new to the show listen to the free feed for a few months you know or, or certainly a few weeks and then and then decide um 
So it really benefits the sort of the longer term listeners, the fans, if you like, the yeah. super fans. Um, no matter what, you get us sweating into our microphones in this boiling hot rooms of ours. Absolutely, you do indeed. Um, Shall we get into some news, Chief? Let's. Let's dive into the news head first. Um, well, roaming is sort of dead now. Hooray! Sort of, yes. <laughs> we have talked about this so many times over the last couple of years uh, or so, um, but this has finally happened uh, as of this week. Um, basically, the EU killed roaming charges uh, pretty much across uh, the whole of the EU. Uh, and as friend of the show, Katie Collins, wrote on CNET this week, uh, this means, of course, you'll still pay your normal monthly uh, or pay-as-you-go bill, but you won't be charged extra for using your minutes and data and texts when you're overseas, outside of the UK, or if you're from outside the UK, within the UK. Um, now, as Katie also pointed out, uh, a couple of really key things about this, uh, one of which I knew and one of which I hadn't thought about. Uh, the one that I did know is obviously this means um, you have to stick with your agreement you already have with your provider. So if you use up your data, you can still be charged for roaming um, outside of your allowance. You know, what the deal means is that for your everything you're already paying for, your inclusive minutes and things, they have to be the same no matter where you are in the EU. But if you're going over that and you're paying extra, you can still be charged roaming fees. And obviously, these are different between networks. And then the thing that I really hadn't paid attention to, which is probably key because I don't want to think that people are lured into a false sense of security here, uh, is that let's say you're in Spain and you're calling a a Spanish restaurant to book a reservation. Uh, That call will be charged to you as if you were making that call from the UK, if if your phone contract is based within uh, the UK. It doesn't mean you're calling like a local rate number. So essentially, the call is going back to the UK to be started and then back to Spain to be connected. So you're charged for that long distance international call. Um, So for things like that, you're still going to have to be quite smart about how you're making phone calls. Or use, uh, uh, use Skype or something like that as an alternative. Yes, obviously you can use data and uh, and and you know use something like Skype over that. So that's that's where we are. So we're here now. We've got roaming. I was using it uh, just a couple of days before it went live in Sweden because um, my provider Vodafone has a. I have two gig of inclusive data, and my minutes and texts are inclusive over there already. So it was quite nice to get a sense of what this was going to be like uh, for everybody else uh, roaming. I was streaming. It is, it at- is lovely, isn't it, to be able to get off a plane, turn your phone on, and just carry on. I mean, it uh, it just feels like it's so overdue. It, it was overdue. Yeah, but, it I was. Mean, and, you know, I, I've been on three, for... so I've, I've been quite lucky. I've, I've had the access to this for some time. Um, for everyone else coming to it, it's like it must be a revelation. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I mean, for me, sitting in a, a Spanish, uh, Spanish, I wasn't Spain, I was in Sweden, uh, in a Swedish restaurant streaming BBC Springwatch live uh, while eating my dinner, because I was on my own, um, it was just a lovely experience, you know, not being charged to stream the very latest in Kestrel News. <laughs> Did you fracture it, a law doing that, by the way? You were on a VPN to the UK, were you? That is your assumption, not mine. <laughs> I pay my license fee. <laughs> you do. I you pay do. my are, mobile data. And you are a British resident as well. So. And I'm a British resident. Let's leave it at that. Um, but let us know what you think. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Naomi, uh, was uh, was overseas at the moment. She said she was very happy with roaming, not being charged um, as well. So if she's still over there, hello to you, Naomi. You may have downloaded this podcast and not been charged. Who knows? <laughs> um, but let us know your thoughts. And if you've been trying this out, uh, podcast at natelangson.com. Let us know any thoughts 
thoughts you have there. And worthy of mentioning, Nate, surely, that uh, that we ran a story on Gizmodo about how um, service providers were asked if they would restore roaming charges when the UK leaves the EU, um, and only three said no, they would not be, which is, I think, an important point worth pointing out. That is, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, obviously the other providers haven't said that they would, but they have refused to sort of say that they won't, if you see what I mean. Um, so three would carry on, I think, just pretty much as it had before, because it had already abolished roaming charges pretty much, um, at least in most of Europe. Um, so it, it would be a shame to roll back on that after Brexit, but uh, I mean, it's a possibility. It's very unlikely. It I is think. unlikely. I think I think the European operators are quite closely tied to one another anyway, aren't they? I mean, you know, there's a lot of cross ownership. Um and, and ultimately roaming doesn't really cost them anything. Um it, it isn't like it's a massively expensive operation for them to run. I mean there must be some cost, but um it isn't anywhere near eight pounds a megabyte or whatever. <laughs> No, 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 no. I mean, six pounds a megabyte in on O2 in the US at one point because uh, I remember having to factor in billing that back to my company at the time. Six pounds a meg. Can you yeah. Adam and Eve that? Um, well, no more. Uh, well, maybe in America because they're not part of Europe. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, we could address that, but there's no real way to do it, is there? No, not yet, mate. Uh, but if you've got an idea of how, podcast at natelangson.com. I was very interested this week to see a story that I think got slightly overlooked uh, in some of the the tech uh, websites uh, this week. But Amazon is making a move, it seems, somewhat, maybe, a bit, uh, to have UK car sales uh, on its website. Uh, This is according to a German publication uh, called Automobile Watch, uh, which is not how you pronounce it, uh, but I believe it might be auto automobile week car week i think that's the translation my my limited german uh coming into play there Uh, but it reported that amazon had been putting people in charge of a new initiative to sell cars now that on its own is is interesting and it's sort of a bit of a no-brainer it also bought walmart this week in in the u.s uh to get better into food um so it's doing a lot of interesting new things uh but the interesting thing and the relevant thing for us is that britain according to this report is one of the places being considered for a pilot project uh it's uh automobile uh walk uh week i'm just gonna say the publication uh, has cited an industry source saying Amazon have been hiring car sales executives. Now, I think this is a very interesting development because, you know, margins on cars might be a lot better than margins on food. Well, Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Margins on cars are tiny, really. They've got to be better than like tomato ketchup and bread. Well, as a percentage, probably not. I mean, I don't know what you'd have to ask a car dealer. But as far as I know, if, if car dealerships are, you know, they, they, they don't get a huge amount of money. In terms of percentage, you'd be surprised, I think. And in fact, I don't believe that car manufacturers make a huge margin on cars sold. You know, I think a lot of it is obviously expensive to build. I would love for somebody who knows about this yeah, stuff. Yeah, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? to tell us anything about margins on cars because it would be interesting. I mean, and podcast at natelangson.com, please, if you uh, if you have any insight there, we can come back to that next week. Um, the interesting news isn't about the margins, of course, though. It's simply about the fact that Amazon is considering selling cars in some way. Uh, you know, that might not necessarily be cars by Prime, where you order a brand new, you know, Audi R8 or something, and the next day it's, it's wheeled 
down your drive in a, in a box for you to sign for. <laughs> um, nor do we know whether maybe it's for used cars or, you know, um, the kind of Amazon marketplace type model where people can simply list their cars for website, uh, for website, for sale on the website. Uh, a little bit like we have for, say, Autotrader here in the UK, which is one of the two uh, biggest uh, car sale um publications and, and websites you know um so there's there's a real opportunity here for amazon to do something very very interesting i think um certainly in terms of direct sales and uh, and, and no less so for peer-to-peer what do you reckon ian yeah i mean I, I i could see this being popular um for certain kinds of it, when you buy a car if you buy a new car you tend to go into the dealer and you try and find the color you want you know the internal spec that you want and that's what a dealer's really for to talk you through all those options and to try and make sure you get a car that suits you and you know and to upsell a bit because again i think there's much more margin to be made on adding in a sat nav than there is you know in paint colors or whatever um but I, what I would see Amazon adding to this would be very much like, um, you know, just the same sort of thing with everything. You know, you, you, you know roughly what you want. You want a car. You go on and um, and you get a roughly a car that fits roughly with what you want. So it's kind of like if you want the bespoke service, if you want to be able to choose every single aspect of the car, you'd be better off going to a dealer. But if you just want a focus and the cheapest one possible and you don't care about any of the extras then amazon i I reckon would be a good place to fulfill that kind of purchase um much less with the intricate tweaking through i mean it's not impossible because car websites all have these fantastic configurators on them that enable you to specify every single thing but i would sort of see amazon as being where where car companies obviously want people to you know customize their cars it it also takes a lot of time to do that so you know you might want your Vol- volkswagen golf tomorrow um but if you go in and specify all the bits it, usually because that will be a unique setup you'll have to give some considerable time for that car to be built and then it will get you know shipped over to the uk and then it'll be yours amazon would probably want to have things moving a little bit quicker than that so you know it would probably agree alone with its finance thing and then get you the car quite quickly so i, I suspect it's going to be people who don't care want a car quickly have decided on roughly what they want and are happy to just pick a few basic options versus the people who are buying a car and who want absolutely everything to be specified to their kind of d- demands if you will yeah and it makes me wonder how things like test drives would work because they're important Oh, well, I mean, yeah, they are. But <laughs> honestly, if you're buying a Focus, you know how a Focus drives. No, you don't. I mean, I don't drive, so well, I don't know any of this. I can tell you that modern cars, I mean, I, I would I would be reluctant to, I would be more concerned about not getting the internal options that I want. So, for example, you know, we, we had a car a few years ago that was a, it was an audi and it didn't have a bluetooth audio system now oh. for me well exactly for me that is um essential for safety because it means you can answer phone calls um you know we've got kids and stuff so it's 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 good to be able to, for, for the other person to be able to call you while you're driving around to find out where you are um you know and so there's uh, it, it would be quite useful to you know, like these things are, it's 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 quite difficult to get cars. I've completely lost that. I completely lost the train of thought. Where was I going with it, Nate? I think you were talking about the the difficulty of test driving. Oh yeah, test driving. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's but sorry. It's so hot in here. I'm actually starting to wilt slightly. Ian is sweating all of his yeah. insights out through his pores. Exactly. So for me. It, all cars drive i mean this isn't true as a car reviewer of of you know of times gone by it isn't true but all cars are suitable like all cars drive well enough 
for people who don't care about cars. If you care about cars, this is not going to be for you. We all know that. Like it's going to, those people go to dealers. Um, but, but for people who just want a car, you know that a Golf is nice. You know that a Focus is nice. You know that a, you know, Renault Megane is nice-ish. Uh, bits will fall off. <laughs> I just, we just hired a Renault and it was shocking. But anyway, you know, most cars are pretty good these days. And, the, and there is a huge percentage of people who just don't care. Yeah, and pick on, on looks they and cost, want, I just, guess. Yeah, they just want a cheap car to, that's going to take the family around. Probably the number one care of those people is going to be safety. And, and you can see that at a glance anyway. Well, we don't know um, if this is going to happen at all. We don't know if it does, whether it will be piloted in Britain, even though the report suggests it, it will be. And it's going to be run out of the Luxembourg office of, of Amazon as well. Um, so there's a lot still to be confirmed. But it'd be a really interesting little thought experiment for people listening uh, about what you what would make you want to buy a car from Amazon. Is there some reason why shopping for a car, whether new or from a, thir- for a third party independent person or secondhand straight from a, an independent seller... Like, what would make you really want to do this through Amazon? Uh, maybe you've bought a car recently and had problems that, that Amazon could fix. We would love to hear this, and we could return to this next week if we get some good responses. Please send them in. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, it's been a bit of a slow news week uh, this week outside of uh, sort of politics and, uh, and gaming and E3, which we're not going to go into in great detail. Uh, but I did find this uh, little story interesting, so we're going to touch on this uh, for a sec. Um, uh, the BBC reported that Norfolk is a dating site scam hotspot, uh, or certainly a dating scam uh, hotspot. Surrey uh, succumbs most frequently to investment fraud, uh, oh, and right. West... West and Mid Wales uh, suffer most from cold calling uh, computer cons. Uh, now, this is according to data from the UK Cybercrime Centre Action Fraud, and it was collated by uh, Witch, the, the watchdog group. And there's some other things that I learned about this uh, in what they've sort of categorised as a uh, like a map of, of who are the ca- where are the capitals of fraud in Britain. Uh, so we've read out three already, but uh, in Dorset, uh, Dorset is the capital for people falling for computer viruses, malware, and spyware fraud, uh, with about fifteen thousand reports uh, between 2014 and 2016 in norfolk uh, i think we've mentioned already people fall for um uh, for dating scams there's a town in wales that apparently is the capital for computer repair fraud uh, this is ones where people phone you up saying hey there's a problem with your computer and then they try and charge you to fix it um they reckon uh, witch's research it says reckons that this has risen almost 50 percent in the last two years and a a reason for it is because they're targeting areas with statistically more uh, older populations, which is a really fascinating trend. Um, there was some difficulty in putting reasoning behind a lot of these other figures as to why certain areas fell uh, for it, um, partly because a lot of cases do go unreported, which to me also feels like it slightly undermines the entire research. Uh, I but to say that, actually. I, do, I don't you think know. this research is that valuable, given that most people just pay up and just not talk about it. No, but the reason is, the reason is, it's fun to talk about why are people in Norfolk falling for dating scams yeah, so often? Yeah, sure. I noticed that Hertfordshire, where I live, uh, nothing reported. We're the capital of nothing here, uh, except for maybe some Greenbelt land. Well, you're, you're going to change that now because someone's going to be going, oh, there's, there's ripe pickings in Hertfordshire, better get on the case. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So um, <laughs> I thought that's that's, it. You'll be beset by people trying to sell you a new microphone, mate. Well, here's hoping. Uh, just give me a decent discount and not be uh, plagued by USB latency and uh, we'll, be, we'll be off to the races. Good luck with um, that. Mm, uh, so, yeah, 
that this happened. As I said, it's been a pretty slow news week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but if you have any feelings on this, have you been uh, prey to a dating scam in Norfolk? Uh, let us know. Podcast at NateLangston.com. <laughs> Uh, well, according to Engadget this week, um, two Chinese companies believe there's room for a more innovative bike rental scheme in the UK. And they are expanding outside of Asia to compete here on our good British soil. So we have this current system in London that we colloquially refer to as Boris Bikes. Even though uh, it was developed by Ken Livingstone. Indeed. And uh, now Boris is the Home Secretary. And Boris's has... only contribution to London really was that stupid garden bridge that failed and those stupid overpriced uh, double-decker buses that also could, can, be, can be considered a failure. Well, until he was in charge of our international diplomatic relations with other countries uh, amid Brexit and global warfare, um, he was at least quite amusing to have uh, Not really. around. Oh, I think he was very funny. I always found him quite... I find him like more amusing than harmless. Uh, oh, sorry, more amusing than harmful, but... By the by, let's not tangent too far. Um, the fact is we have this system where you go to any of these many, many uh, rental pods around the city. Uh, you've got the contactless thing. You wheel one out, drive to wherever you want to go, park it in another bay, and that's it. And you get charged. It's it's a pretty good system. And yeah, a system really like this is used in, in many, many countries all over the world. But these Chinese companies want to do things a little differently. They want to get rid, and indeed in China have gotten rid, of the docking stations. So the bikes themselves will have GPS uh, within sight within them. So you basically just go to wherever your app, and it's all done via app, says there's a bike leaning up somewhere, uh, and you hop on it. And then when you when you get off it, you just leave it so anywhere that it's legal to leave a bike. And as soon as you've uh, stopped pedaling for any extended period of time, or your market is done, uh, you're charged. And that's it. So no charging, uh, no docking stations, uh, but also the risk of many bikes just being left all over the place, <laughs> which is one of the concerns that uh, Manchester, uh, I believe, had where this uh, is, is going to be trialled too. Well, that's the problem, really, because that don't forget that that um, Santander bike scheme in London, uh, it requires an enormous amount of movement of bikes. They have to move bikes around by van because... Basically, there are certain places people want to go and certain places people want to come from and they don't tend to tie up. So there are not as many people going, uh, you know, say from Leicester Square to, I don't know, a station as there are people going from Waterloo to Leicester Square. And, you know, so the bike stock movement is a, is a challenge logistically. It is a bit. Um, so this is going to go live uh, June the 29th in uh, Manchester and Salford. So for those listening outside of the UK, that's not London. Um, and it was piloted uh, by one of the companies, Ofo, uh, in Cambridge a couple of months ago. Uh, but they didn't do it with that many, many bikes. So it's going to be a really interesting thing to see if this works, because if it does, it's exactly the kind of thing you can see being brought south of the M25. And I love the concept of, of bike rental schemes, even though I don't use them, uh, because it's just such a convenient way of getting around the city quickly. They're great, mate. Honestly, I don't don't use them anymore because I tend to like to walk. Um, But um, they're really good. It's a really good service. They're horrible bikes. I fell off one in a most spectacular way once after a few drinks. Well, for any of our... (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Well, it it was actually... it It was over by the London Eye. And the London Eye underneath has like quite slick paving. And I, I was cycling on. It was very late, so there was no one around. I was cycling along and I just turned. And the, just the wheels, because they don't have any grip, really, <laughs> just slid from under me. I was quite badly hurt. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't want to make a light no, of no, your no, injury. It's, but it's absolutely hilarious. Don't be, maybe don't you be should silly. go through it some sort of an intense chaining program. <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, well, if you are a Mancunian listener of this show, then uh, by all means, and indeed, please uh, rent one of these bikes. Uh, we can't give you any money, but we do welcome your opinions of it at podcast at natesangson.com. Uh, or if you've used any system like this in China or in any other country where it's active, I'd love to hear if that makes a difference to how you use the bikes to basically be able to pick them up and drop them off anywhere as opposed to having to plan your routes and collection around the docking stations. Podcast at natesangson.com. Well, let's jump into uh, an email that we had to podcast at natelangson.com this week before we round up the show. Uh, this is a very long email, or was, I've trimmed it. Uh, it came in from Ken. Really interesting insights about using Android Auto, uh, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, I believe Android Auto is the kind of native sort of embedded system in cars that uses like Google Maps and stuff, like like uh, Apple... Uh, yeah, the, they, the both, they both they both use your phone to replace the you know any in-car systems. So it's a, it basically in your car you have a screen and the, and the screens tend to operate both on Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. You plug in your phone and all the processing and mapping and data is all handled by the phone. Okay, great. So that's what we're dealing with. And this is this message came in from Ken, one of our uh, lovely listeners. Uh, he says, Hi, Nathan Ian. Uh, I thought I'd write to you about my recent experience using Android Auto and Google Maps while driving in France. It was not the smoothest of experiences. First of all, the car is a brand new Audi A3. Uh, the phone is a Samsung S7 running Android Nougat. And I downloaded mapping for our route before we left in case of spotty coverage and to reduce data costs. I also had a decent data package whilst in France. Our plan was to take three days to travel to Nice. I wanted to avoid the auto routes and tolls on our way down and therefore selected the avoid motorways and avoid tolls options in Google Maps. In no particular order, here are some of the issues we encountered. One, periodically the connection from the phone to the car would break and the connection manager screen would dis- would uh, appear on the dash. Uh, the dash, the screen, I assume that means. Um, wondering if this was a cable issue, and, he's, and Ken says, I'm astounded that the connection has to be cable and can't be Bluetooth or wireless. We swapped cable several times, but this didn't seem to resolve the issue. Number two, Google Maps would not factor in our desire to avoid auto routes and tolls. Having quadruple checked the appropriate options were selected, I have no idea why this was. At one point, we had to switch to Waze uh, to navigate uh, off the auto route, which it did fine. This used data, however, and didn't show the car's uh, didn't show on the car's screen. So he says his wife had to hold the phone and give directions. As Waze for Android Auto is just in beta at the moment. Uh, also, uh, I understand that Waze is, the Waze is also Google in effect. Yeah, He's it right. is. Yeah. Google bought it some years ago. Uh, three. At one point, we requested Google to find us a petrol station. It took us off the motorway through a small town, past as it turned out several petrol stations, and onto a deserted industrial <laughs> estate from where we could see the back of the service station on the motorway we had just left. Four, and this is the final one I'm including, but he did have a couple of others. Uh, Voice control was very hit and miss. Saying the, I'm not going to say this because it'll set off everybody's phone, but saying the code word you want to say when you want to activate the Google Assistant, uh, it would summon the dialog box only on rare occasions. You can nudge the command wheel in the Audi whilst using Android Auto, and it will trigger the spinning orbs of answering, uh, but but you surely... uh, but you shouldn't have to, he says. You, it yeah. should just be voice only. Well, look, can I just say that this is exactly... I mean, he's had slightly more luck with Android Auto than I've ever had. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean... Uh, uh, so here's a couple of points. Um, with Apple CarPlay, you have to use a first-party cable. Um, if you use a third-party cable, it tends not to work. So that's one important thing to remember. I don't know with Android Auto whether the cable plays a part... Um, I have tried roughly with my we've got um, uh, a, an Astra and it has both uh, 
CarPlay works flawlessly almost every time. Uh, Android Auto worked at the start and has stopped working since. Uh, cables, I've tried hundreds and I can't make it work. Um, my experience is is broadly the same. I haven't had so many problems with Google Maps. I think, like you said, Nate, it's better in the UK anyway. Um, I, I, I did I did used to find, back at the start when I used it, Google Maps was very good at getting you there in, raw, in broad terms. But when it came to that last little bit of the journey, it tended to really fall down. So it would get you to roughly where you needed to be, but then you would just wouldn't be able to find the end of the route. And actually, that is still sort of true because I had a problem with it the other day. Mm. Um uh, the petrol station thing, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not surprised. I, I find it odd that um, it wouldn't have petrol stations programmed in. But Google crowdsources a huge amount of its information. I, there is a program you can sign up to, actually, to review things. Um, and I think that they rely on quite a lot of input. And if people haven't put those things into Google, then it just doesn't know about them. And they can't map it all, right, because it's extremely expensive. Uh, so that's I'm not surprised about the petrol station. I'm not surprised it missed some, but it's it's frustrating. Um, and voice control, I don't know. I haven't really tried it. I I tend to program all these things w- before I get in the car because the pa- the support is generally pretty patchy. Uh, mm. And also, I use an iPhone most of the time, and uh, Apple uh, Siri isn't great with Spotify. Uh, it would be fine with Apple Music, but um, Spotify support is not brilliant. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I. My experience of these two technologies has been, you know, kind of bad, but it comes down in huge part to uh, the car system you've got. And um, I know there is a firmware update that's uh, due for the Astra, but when it's been in for service, they've never done it. Uh, so I, my understanding is that that will fix all of the problems. There was a, I looked online, and there was a, an acknowledgement that there were huge issues with Android Auto. Uh, so it's worth doing that, but you cannot do those updates yourself. They have to be done by a service centre because you could brick the thing and that would be bad. I mean, although it's only the entertainment system, it would still be not a great idea. Yeah. Well, if you've got any thoughts on this, do let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. If you're using Android Auto, maybe you've got some ideas for how Ken uh, could have resolved this uh, in the past or hopefully in future if he uh, goes back to Nice, if he can uh, stomach the uh, technological hurdles that uh, were incurred getting there this time. Uh, let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. And just before we wrap up, let's check in with uh, good friend Tom Merritt on Daily Tech News Show. Uh, what's been going on this week in the global world of tech, Tom? Thank you, folks. This week, on Daily Tech News Show, we discussed whether a bot would make a good therapist. We think in some cases, yes. Got the scoop on why Microsoft did not win E3, but maybe nobody did. Dived into one company's project to turn spent second stage rockets into a space squatter's paradise in space, and thought we were being clever talking about Amazon buying Slack before Amazon went and bought Whole Foods grocery chain. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you guys. Thank you, Tom. And yes, you should check out DTNS for E3 stuff uh, because uh, we decided not to really cover it on this week's show because uh, everyone covered it and I wasn't massively blown away by anything I saw. But I was on the Scene at UK podcast this week and did talk at length with Andrew Hoyle uh, and Katie Collins about E3. So uh, you can check that episode out uh, if you would like to hear any of my thoughts on uh, what came out of E3 this week. Um, great. Ian, that'll do, I think. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
It's uh, time for us to go and uh, put some clothes on, stop sweating. Uh, and and also thank you again to our patrons supporting us. If you aren't supporting us and like to give us a try, we talked about, what did we talk about this week? Uh, we talked about the GIF. I had a nice discussion about the how to pronounce that word. You'll notice how I just pronounced that word. Uh, and also the you know the Pirate Bay and the lawsuits that uh, that took place this week and uh, how file sharing is, is adapting. Uh, that's on the extended version of the show this week. Um, so do check that out. No commitment. UK, uh, patreon.com slash UK Tech. Uh, and please, for those of you who uh, just wish to support us by listening to the free show, please keep telling your friends, leave us reviews on iTunes. That makes as much difference as it makes to us being supported financially on Patreon. So thank you to everyone supporting us in every way they can, financially or with word of mouth and reviews. Uh, you guys are the best. And Ian, let's go and have a shower. Separate yes. showers, though, Chief. Separate <laughs> showers. Not doing that again. Yes. Uh, see you next week, everybody. Okay. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.